Good morning, everyone. Hope you're well. God is good all the time, and all the time God is, which means he's still good, even in this pandemic and this lockdown period where extra grace and patience is required. I don't know about you, but I certainly need extra grace and patience and peace at this time. As I've said before, this pandemic is causing people to ask some big questions in life. And one of them that is worth asking yourself is, what am I passionate about? A way to help you answer this question is by asking yourself, well, what do I spend a lot of time thinking about or, or talking about with people? Where does my money go? These all help identify what you're passionate about. What are the things that you make time for in the week? Then ask yourself, what would others describe you, what, what you're passionate about? How will they describe it is the passion of your life? Oh yeah, you know, he was, he was a really great gamer. You know, no one could ever beat him on Call of Duty or on, uh, on Fortnite or something like that. He was there into the early hours playing it. Or maybe, oh yeah, she was really devoted to her work. She was always there, always making sure she got the, the job done. She was a, yeah, she was a real workaholic. What would onlookers say you are passionate about. It's a good question to ask yourself. What is your heart always focus on? You see, today we're going to begin our new series on King David. And above everything else, David was known as a man who was passionate about God. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of King David. Was it the shepherd boy? Was it the giant slayer? Was it the warrior or man of faith? Was it the fugitive? Was it the songwriter? He certainly was all those things. Or it may be something far worse you're thinking about King David, because that was also true of him, because he wasn't perfect. He was a womanizer. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He certainly didn't appear to be a great father either. And yet, despite his greatness and his many mistakes which we're going to look at over this series, we see that David, above everything else, was a man who was passionate about God. He was chosen because he had a heart after God. And that is what our new series is called, A Heart After God. Taken from 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, where God says through Samuel the prophet to Saul, he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And it's our aim as we go through this series that the Holy Spirit will stir you and me to be people that are passionate for God. That above everything else, we're known as a man or a woman who is passionate about God. Someone who has a heart after God's heart. Yes, like David, you're going to make mistakes. We all do. Hopefully, the ones you make won't be as big as the ones that King David makes. 
uh, made in his uh, life. And this, but that should actually give us hope. And it does give us hope that if we remain soft-hearted to God, open to his correction and his discipline in our lives, even in our mistakes, then God can bring some good out of them. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to start by reminding you of how David fits into God's salvation plan uh, that has been running right throughout history from the beginning up until now. And then we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16 where we see our first introduction to, to David the shepherd boy as he's anointed to God's, uh, as God's chosen king. So there's two things that I'm going to be looking at today. How David's, David's place in God's salvation plan and then look at 1 Samuel 1 Samuel chapter 16. Okay, so firstly, we need to understand that God's desire, right from the very beginning of time, is that he would have a people made in his image, bringing him glory all over the earth, and that he could enjoy fellowship with them. We find that he used to come and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And before the human race rebelled against God, this would have happened naturally. So all God had to command Adam and Eve to do was to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the earth. God gave Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden to begin to work out his plan. But they hadn't even got out of the garden before they listened to the devil's lies and rebelled against God, thus bringing sin, sickness, and death into the world, making it impossible for us by ourselves to fulfill God's plan and bring him glory over the world, and also for us to have any fellowship with God. But even as God is dishing out his punishment to Adam and Eve, he gives a promise of deliverance of a promised son who would come along and he would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent might bruise his heel. God gives him that promise. And this is the first glimmer that we get of his promised rescue plan through Jesus Christ, which he's going to bring about later. Later on, as time goes on, you then get uh, God choosing Abraham. And with Abraham, God calls him out of a place called Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq, which is round about here. And God says, come and follow me, and I will give you many descendants, and I will make your, 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 you and your, your offsprings will be a blessing to the whole world, which is a pretty big promise to give when Abraham at that time could have no, had no children and could, it would seem couldn't have children. But anyway, Abraham believed God and he followed him and he, he followed where God led and God led him all the way up, up around here, up around here, all the way down into what is known as modern day Israel now. And God promises Abraham to give him that Land And through Abraham, he promises Israel to give him what is known as the promised land to work out God's plan of salvation in there. Although he warns Abraham when he gets to that land, 
that for 400 years, his descendants would end up as slaves in a foreign land. And in his grace, because in his grace, you see, he was giving the Canaanites who lived in that land at that time an opportunity to repent and change, although they wouldn't and they, they didn't. They only added sin upon sin. So you see, God's, God's judgment comes upon them later. Anyway, Israel go down into Egypt in Joseph's time due to a severe famine that is in the, the land. And a little bit later, they get enslaved for 400 years, as God had said, until, as God promised, he raises up Moses. And with many signs and wonders, he delivers God's people out of Egypt. God gives them his laws by which they can glorify him and by which they can live in the promised land and bring God glory there. But due to the people of Israel's rebellion, even under Moses, that generation that Moses led out of Egypt don't make it into the promised land. They die in the wilderness and their little ones who they feared for are the ones who take the promised land. And then you get Joshua come along, and Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. Of course, the first encounter they have is in that famous battle with Jericho, where there's a massive wall that is impenetrable, it would seem. And yet God comes along, and he gives them a helping kick, and they defeat the, those in Jericho, and they're able to enter the promised land. And then you get into a period after that for 400 years where there are judges ruling over the, uh, over the people of Israel. And you get into this, this cycle where the people of Israel are obedient to God and they're enjoying God's blessing. And then they begin to rebel against God. And then they lose God's blessing. Another nation comes along and begins to conquer them. And they're in great trouble and, uh, and then they, in that trouble, they turn to God and, and say, I'm sorry, Lord, and please help us. And God raises up a judge for them to deliver them. Not this sort of judge, but this sort of judge. And he comes along and God uses him to deliver the people of Israel. And then all's fine for a generation or two. And then that cycle happens all over again. Anyway, at the end of this period, you get the greatest of the judges known as Samuel. And he comes along, and Samuel's in our story today as well, as we're in the Bible passage that we read. And he's the greatest of all judges. But when he gets old, the people of Israel uh, come to him and say, Look, we don't want this system anymore. We want a king to rule over us. We want a king to be our uh, our, our boss. And you see, the issue wasn't that they wanted a king. That wasn't what, what the problem was. Is they wanted a king to be like other nations. They were rejecting God in that they were looking to a man to be their leader and a man to be the one who protected them from other, other nations. And so, anyway, God, in his grace, allows them to have King Saul, who physically is a very impressive man. He's a foot taller than everyone else in Israel at that time. And he starts well, but 
actually ends up being more concerned about himself and what other people think rather than God. And so he ends up being rejected by God as king. And God says to him, he will choose somebody else who has a heart after God, which is where we pick up the story today. And it's important to realize that from a worldly point of view, that actually Israel, their very existence in the promised land was very precarious throughout that whole time. Actually, it wasn't until King David came along that Israel's dominance and security as a nation was established through King David. Despite David's many mistakes, because of his great love for God, all subsequent kings in Jerusalem are compared with how they did compared to King David. And God promises to David that he will build an everlasting kingdom through one of his offspring. The promised Messiah would come through his family line who would rule over the earth forever. This is why in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, the very first verse of the New Testament starts by telling us Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Jesus is the greater King David who establishes God's eternal kingdom for God's people that covers the whole world and will never end. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy over Abraham. In Jesus, all the families on the earth can be blessed. Jesus is the promised one who delivers his people from under the curse of sin, restoring them to God. Jesus is the one who crushes, who crushes Satan's head at the cross. Jesus then gives his church the world to work out God's plan in. David's life finds its significance in that he was a key, faith-filled, obedient player in God's salvation plan. And you know what? Your life can find equal significance as you play your part in God's salvation plan in your generation, in our generation. If you don't believe me, or if you think, oh, you're just exaggerating, uh, Sai, Jesus is very clear. In Matthew 11, verse 11, he says that up until that point in history, no one greater than John the Baptist had ever been born of a woman. Not David, not Moses, not Abraham. And yet, one who was going to be least in the kingdom that he establishes would be greater than John. Your life can have eternal significance. Give your life to following and serving Jesus. You will not regret it. In this life, you won't regret it, and you definitely won't regret it in the life to come. Amen? So let's look now at King David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and let's see what we can learn from his life. So we pick up the story in verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Je Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you, do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains the youngest, but he... But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And then jumping forward to verse 17, he says, So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. No one thought of David being king. David didn't even uh, think he would be king. His family hadn't even invited him to the special meal where the national hero was going to be. He was completely overlooked. He was an insignificant last-born son, not invited to the party. I don't know how you feel about yourself, how others have treated you and, and make you feel in your life, but God does not overlook you you. God has a life of eternal significance for you and he's invited you to join in with him and he's invited you to enjoy a renewed earth when Christ returns where once again there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no pandemic, no pestilence and plagues as we're seeing in the news and no death. Samuel comes 
to the feast and is introduced to Jesse's sons one by one. He sees how impressive they are physically speaking, but then God gives him those, those immortal words where it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Even now, God is still doing the same. God sees straight through you and me, right down to our heart. He sees the motives and the thoughts of our heart. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 tells us, you can't pretend before God, but you can be real with him and pray with him. As a psalmist encourages us to pray, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Thanks to Jesus, you and I can come to God and can confess our sins, and he is faithful to forgive us. When you became a Christian, or when you become a Christian, if you haven't made that choice, you are made righteous before God, thanks to Jesus' death on the cross. He takes on himself our sins. And then through faith in him, we receive his righteousness as a gift. His spirit makes his home in us and begins transforming us, making us more like Jesus. The biblical word for that is sanctification. It means being set apart for God. And the Holy Spirit is wanting to put to death in us those desires that displease God. And he wants to help us live for him. For God is concerned with what you're really like, not with how you appear. So the Lord looks at the heart. And it is David, who the one who is not invited to the party, who the Lord has chosen. Samura, in his commentary, says this. He says, Here, David's anointing is by God's initiative and sovereign will. Even Samuel does not know whom he should anoint until God informs him. Notice the Spirit of God rushes upon David from that time on. And then David, after that, goes back to looking after the sheep. We don't know how long that time uh, lasts, but he's there until Saul calls for him. Interestingly, David at that point is known as a worshipper. He's known as somebody who the Lord is with. He's also known as a man of war, prudent in uh, speech and with a, an impressive presence, even before he's even fought a battle. And my friends, it's really important for us to understand. God has good works that he has prepared in advance for you and for me to walk in. And he will call you to operate in that area, in those good works, at the right time. There are things he's called all of us to do as Christians, become more like Jesus in our character, put to death our sinful nature, be a good husband or wife if you're married, be a good family member, working hard at our job. These are all things, or our studies, these are all things God's called us to do, witnessing to the world around us. Yet God has specific things for each one of us to walk in. The Spirit of God may have already put stuff on your heart. and You know what he wants you specifically to be doing. Others may have prophesied it over you as well. 
Don't worry, at the right time, God will raise you up into what he has called you to do. Don't try to force it. David didn't appear to. And certainly you'll see later on, he doesn't try to force it. Just get on with doing what God has called you to do. Taking any natural opportunities that come your way whilst in that place, make sure that you yourself are a worshipper of God, someone who is known for being filled with the Spirit, that the Lord is with you. And at the right time, God will bring things into motion to lead you into all that he has for you. He will raise you up as you faithfully serve him. He will be teaching you stuff in this time of waiting that you find yourself. He did. He was teaching David stuff in that time. He was teaching Moses stuff in, in the time of waiting that Moses had. Joseph, he had a time of waiting that God was teaching him lessons in. Even Abraham himself did as well. God is not in a rush. He brings everything about at the right time. In the fullness of time, the Bible tells us, or at just the right time, Christ came. And at a time fixed by the Father in heaven, Christ will return. But between uh, that time and the time that Christ returns, there is a time for everything else. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 and Acts 1 verse 7 makes that clear, including all that he has for you. You see, just like we don't know how long David was with the sheep before Saul called him to into work with him, who knows how long we're going to be in this current lockdown period or how long social distancing is going to go on or how long it is before God releases you into all that he has put on your heart. But be patient. God's spirit is not locked down, even if we are. God never has to be socially distant, even if we do. Nothing can stop God. And at the right time, he will bring about all that he has called you to do. He doesn't leave you to do it by yourself either in your own strength. Like with David, Christ has poured out his spirit onto his followers and he wants us to be regularly filled afresh with his Holy Spirit. So whether you feel like you're walking in God's royal calling for your life, or whether you feel like you're still with the sheep, let's make sure, either way, that we are known as people who are filled with the Spirit, that the Lord is with us. Because in reality, there is no greater calling than that. So, I hope, like me, you're excited about what we can learn from this great man, King David. My friends, no matter what other people think about you or you feel about yourself, in Christ, your life has eternal significance and he has specific good works that he wants you to do. So thank you for listening. Before I close, I just want to give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, yeah, actually, I want my life to have eternal significance. I want to 
um, I want to go to that place when Christ returns where the world is perfect, where there's no more sin, sickness or suffering. Then pray this prayer along with me. It's a prayer of surrender to, to Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all that I have done that offends you. And through your Spirit's help, help me to live the rest of my life for you. I give my life to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done for those of you who prayed that. Hope you have a great week and we will see you again soon.